0: This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, beautiful but cool. Tuesday afternoon. Again, uh, Claudette, I have to check in to see what day it is of the week. (laughs) Uh, It's my age, I suppose. Um, But of course, uh, we're all watching the unfolding situation in Nova Scotia very closely. We all know people, family and friends in Nova Scotia, who are, uh, if they're not uh, directly affected by the disaster, they're um, certainly watching it with great... Anxiety. I would imagine. Uh, As of this morning, the wildfires raging in the province had doubled in size. Some 200 structures are in what they're calling the impact area, most of which are homes. Some of those homes, but not all, have been damaged or destroyed. And while the situation remains volatile, a decision will be made tomorrow on whether or not certain residents will be able to return to their homes. Well, Halifax Mayor Mike Savage provided an update uh, a short while ago on that. Situation, He understands, of course, the um, importance that uh, people are placing on trying to get back and seeing, uh, you know, is my home okay? Has it been damaged? Has it been destroyed? Can I get anything else out of there? Uh, because as you know, Claudette, I can't imagine what it m- would be like just to suddenly get up and leave. And as soon as you're in the, your car, you'll be like... I don't have this.
2: Medications would be uh, first and foremost on your mind as well, right? Pictures for me. I Pictures, animals. pictures I'll <laughs> never. Course. You could never. That's one thing you cannot replace, especially if you have those old pictures that you can't, you know, no negatives, that kind of thing. It's yeah. not on your phone, but yeah. you've had them for, for decades passed down through the generations. So, yeah, that would be a tough one to swallow. Knowing, and if you're yeah. not
1: allowed to go back to your home, if you're at work or you happen mm-hmm. to be somewhere at school, whatever the case may be, and you're not allowed to go back to your home, you've left a pet there. Well, that's got to be yeah. A whole I mean, other level of that
2: hit me hard yesterday when I was looking at that uh, the the uh, Facebook page for that. Just knowing um, all of those missing pets, and, but they were being reunited, so I
1: have to you know see the silver lining. But yeah, uh, for sure, for sure. And and people do care. Well, Halifax Mayor Mike Savage provided this update just a short while ago.
3: People are obviously
0: concerned about their property, There are things that they want, um, but there are still very dangerous areas around these houses, and we cannot have people going into communities that are not safe. Just simply, um, I understand why they want to do it, but in the safety uh, interest of themselves and of those who are fighting this fire and who are responsible for their safety, please do not go into an evacuated area.
1: So uh, there you have it, uh, the mayor of Halifax warning people, please, whatever you do, don't go back into that area. It reminds me of uh, Basque, you know, when all of those homes were cordoned off and uh, they were asking people for good reason not to go back in because... You know, the structural integrity of the home had been uh, compromised or whatever the case may be. So, uh, yeah, our, our, you know, our thoughts certainly with uh, the people of Nova Scotia right now and so many people. I mean, I know dozens of people up in Nova Scotia. So. I can't stop thinking about you guys. Well, the MP and former Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole rose in the House of Commons today to speak on a point of privilege after he was briefed by CSIS, and this happened on Friday, by the way, uh, his briefing by CSIS, on how he was targeted by the People's Republic of China in a campaign of misinformation. Today's point of privilege comes amid continued questions and concerns related to alleged foreign interference in the Canadian democratic process and an NDP motion to have David Johnson removed as this special rapporteur looking into the matter. These um, allegations and concerns have been swirling for some time now about um, alleged political interference in the last political election. Well, O'Toole was very clear that he had far more detail but chose not to reveal it so as to one, protect the methods used by CSIS in their intelligence uh, gathering, and two, not Not to identify potential sources. Here's what he had to say in the House of Commons.
4: That said, I will break the nature of the threats identified to me by CSIS into four distinct categories of threats. Each of these threats were intended to discredit me, promote, promote false narratives about my policies, and to severely obstruct my work as a member of Parliament and as leader of the official opposition. The numerous examples also demonstrate that there was an orchestrated campaign of foreign interference in the 43rd Parliament and into the 2021 general election. The first category of threat is related to foreign funding. Specifically, the payment of funds by the Chinese Communist Party through the United Front Work Department to create specific products of misinformation on me as a Member of Parliament and as leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. The second category of threat is related to human resources, specifically the use of groups of people working for or aligned with the United Front Work Department in Canada. They were organized and directed by a foreign state to amplify misinformation efforts and undermine my work as a member of this chamber and as leader of a parliamentary caucus. The third category of threat is related to foreign-controlled social media platforms. This category related specifically to the WeChat communications platform and its use to further the aims of the Chinese Communist Party and the United Front Work Department and their campaign to spread misinformation to undermine and discredit my work in this chamber as the Member of Parliament for Durham and as leader of the official opposition. The final category of threat outlined to me, Madam Speaker, is related to voter suppression. Specifically, Intelligent indicated an active campaign of voter suppression against me, the Conservative Party of Canada, and a candidate in one electoral district during the 2021 general election. I must acknowledge at this point, Madam Speaker, that I also believe my privileges as a member and officer of Parliament were infringed by the government's unwillingness or inability to act on intelligence related to foreign interference. The briefing from CSIS confirmed to me what I expected, suspected for quite some time, that my parliamentary caucus and myself were the target of a sophisticated misinformation and voter suppression campaign orchestrated by the People's Republic of China before and during the 2021 general election.
1: So that's uh, former Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, uh, MP with the Conservative Caucus in Ottawa, outlining uh, to a degree what he was briefed on by CSIS late last week concerning um, his being targeted by the People's Republic of China. And if you recall, uh, Aaron O'Toole, as leader of the Conservative Party, was an outspoken critic of the Chinese government and uh, he made it clear in the House of Commons today that he was told that he will continue to be targeted by the People's Republic of China and he would not go into detail on the specifics related to those threats but he did just outline uh, in generalities what was going on there um, in the House of Commons today. Very interesting and if you have any thoughts on that you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well Claudette, I want you to cast your mind back. Cast it back now, (laughs) if you can, into those murky halcyon days of post-secondary. Oh,
2: (laughs) post-secondary? That is a while back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Decades. Me as well. But, uh, wow, you got to share with the excitement of convocation ceremonies. Do you know, I was thinking about
2: that the other day. I was quite embarrassed. I was thinking to myself, all of these people perhaps can go back into their memory and remember what it was like to convocate. I've convocated a few times and I do not remember what it was like going across the stage. I do not have one memory of it at all.
1: Neither do I. Only because I didn't convocate. (laughs) 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 I was like, yeah,
2: no, this is not for me. But I mean, it's just, you know, you're going across, people feel that it's really impactful. I mean, it's life changing. But I just I don't even know if I remember crossing the stage nerves or I think it was just a serum. Cere- you know, it's a ceremony. Yeah, it you know really what it is. is too. I think it's like when you're graduate from say grade 12 or, or something like you, you already know you're going to graduate or you already have the degree. And so it's a formality. It was a formality for me. So it didn't take up much of my memory, I think.
1: But exciting, then. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even go there. I feel you like I'm. not just pooped on my whole I'm premise. So
2: sorry about that, because I feel like I'm not in the norm. <laughs> so we'll just bypass my own memory. And go to your story. No, no, that's
1: fine. That's fine. No, I get it. I totally yeah. get it. Uh, because okay. uh, if I had convocated myself, I probably would have felt exactly the same th- way. It's a, it's a formality. More exciting, maybe for the parents.
2: Yes, you right? Are right. Because they have such huge expectations for right? you. It's and a big deal. Like, They're probably yeah. telling their friends. And time for you to move out now.
5: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's another
2: step. Changing stone. the locks. See you later.
1: Um, no convocation is uh, underway. And, of course, they had some ceremonies in Cornerbrook recently. And they started in St. John's today and uh, will continue on through the remainder of the week. And there's been some controversy, as we all know, Mm -hmm. uh, surrounding all of this. And uh, we were watching it closely today. They did not sing the ode, even though some had vowed that they would. Yes, I heard that. Uh, But that didn't happen. Um, Instead, there was a large group who gathered outside the convocation ceremonies to sing the ode and express their dissatisfaction with Munn's decision to drop the ode last fall. And, uh, and to stick with that decision for the spring sessions while the Board of Regents decides on a way forward. But be that as it may, uh, still an exciting um, time, it, it, unless you're Claudette Burns. And um, <laughs> uh, the Royal Canadian Legion is, as well issued a release on, on that um, particular issue. Well, Chancellor Earl Ludlow, I don't know if anybody else was excited, but he certainly was in a very uh, gregarious and buoyant mood as he addressed the students this morning. Here's some of what he had to say.
0: My name is Earl Ludlow, and I have the privilege of being the chancellor of Memorial University. Congrats, students. You did it. uh, uh, There's only one way to say it. There we go. Come on. There we are. I remember walking across this stage I'm going to date myself 43 years ago as uh, I received my Bachelor of Engineering degree. And that's all I remember about it is in the book. I was so nervous. I can't remember sitting there, walking across here, or getting the hood put on and everything else. And you know, the only thing I do remember is I had hair down across my shoulders at that point. And I was a little bit of a radical. But that's going to need a little bit of visionary and uh, thinking on your part. But you know, I never thought I'd be here today in these robes, conferring degrees on such talent and the future of this great province. I'm still just a Bats arm boy at heart. Amen. Amen. And getting where you are today, I will say you've all had different challenges. You've overcome them. You know, you've, you've met difficult times, whatever they are. I'll tell you one of mine, and some of you are going to hear this a dozen times, probably in the next week. But I keep telling, and I keep telling about failures of myself. So maybe it's good for the soul. Term seven engineering, midterm exams, I failed every one of them <laughs> and threw my books in the garbage. And my mom and dad were pretty, uh, what do I call, yeah, pretty logical people, pretty, you know, just take your time, Earl, and so on, so on, so on. Anyway, eventually they found their way out. The thing I didn't realize is I had written a 49 average. Everyone else had written below 49. <laughs> so I will tell you, don't be too hard on yourself. You have succeeded. You've stuck with it. You all have your own stories, and you have your own moments. But you are now a part of the class of 2023. And every one of you is an individual who have followed your own path to convocation. So there
1: you go. Uh, Chancellor Earl Ludlow uh, regaling the graduating students at Memorial University with his stories of long hair and... uh, a 49 average. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I guess engineering, like he
2: said, Reach for right? the stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll fall somewhere around that range.
1: <laughs> um, but seriously, congratulations yes. to uh, one and all on your convocation. Uh, well done, one and all. Coming up, renewable energy has been the focus of discussions, of course, at Energy NL's conference in the capital city today. This is News Talk on
4: VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM. It's open line with your host, Pat. Daily, join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking,
1: and we're back. Well, renewable energy, of course, is all the buzz these days, and it was the focus of Energy NL's annual conference in St. John's today. Uh, It used to be all about oil and gas, if you recall, but wind and hydrogen dominated discussion today, and there was some conversation on oil and gas as well. Um, With a major announcement coming tomorrow on proposed amendments to the Atlantic Accord, and we'll get a little more detail on that, but the uh, minister responsible, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, made that announcement just a short while ago. Well, they're holding their cards, um, sorry, uh, in the meantime, there was um, an update on hydroelectricity and the power generated by muskrat falls this morning with newfoundland labrador hydro ceo jennifer williams well here's a little bit of what she had to say
5: so let's start with the most recent and the most obvious from april 2023 it's done the final piece of the lower Churchill project the labrador island link was commissioned in april and released for service Recently, it's been bringing about 500 megawatts to the island, dropping off a bunch of electricity here and the maritime link picks it up and then brings a good amount to our customers in Nova Scotia. We don't need to land more than that on the island here at this time of year because the demand on the island is low. This commissioning was another massive step towards meeting our net zero commitments for our electricity sector. In fact, in 2022, we made meaningful strides toward meeting Canada's goal for a net-zero electricity sector. So just how net-zero are we? Last year, we ended the year with more than 90% of this electricity generated in the province from renewable sources, more than 90%. Folks have a perception that because Hollywood still exists, and it's really headed to a bit of a backup function, that we're not that clean. But more than 90% is pretty significant. And I expect that number to be much larger in 2023, now that the Labrador Island Link is indeed commissioned. So one of my favorite headlines from this past year, and I can't recall which news organization wrote it, but it says, Labrador Island Link aces the 700-megawatt test, paving the way for the Muskrat Falls completion. So now an obvious question then for residents and business owners alike is what does this mean for electricity rates? With the government of Newfoundland and Labrador, we're working to finalize how rates will be managed. It's complex, but together we will ensure that the various sources of funding, including the federal funds that you've heard about, are reflected in our rate-setting process, and you'll hear more about that in the next year. Next month, we'll be presenting our annual report and financials, and I will say here, as you can see from the headlines shown, in 2022, we had a very good year. You will see the one there, December 12th. Profits soar, that was on a um, third quarter basis. We've had a great, a great year and turned a corner even, I'll say. So as we evolve, we will ensure that our continued success brings more long-term benefits to the province and the people here that live here. So we're not stopping here because we've had a couple of good years. We're not saying job done. We can't stop, and I will say that good headlines are addictive. So what's next? You've heard me say many times that utility planning is never done, which is what I love about utilities, job security. I'm just joking. But conversations will continue on how we ensure reliability for customers and how we plan to meet the incredible forecasted demand and growth. So for the next few minutes, I will talk about those last two, the demand and growth, and the unrivaled opportunities for the people of our province. And that includes all of you here today and the organizations that you represent. Noted here is a quote from Electricity Canada, and I draw your attention to urgency. Since we spoke last year, the global energy crisis has marched steadily on, and in fact, the urgency to address climate change has accelerated. And our own policy, our Canadian targets are coming at us fast and furious. Don't get me wrong, I am very personally aligned with taking material action. But my point is this, there's no slowing down what's coming. The horse has left the barn, as they say. So we have to take action. We have to make decisions to ensure our system, our electricity system, is ready for the rapidly increasing demand. In fact, I think time is running out. But we also have to take the time to learn from our history and make sure we're making the right decision, one that is informed, evidence-based, for our current and future customers. Copied here are some headlines from across the country. I'll read just a couple. The Toronto Star. Ontario confronts the reality of being short of electricity in the coming years. The Montreal Gazette. Hard choices will have to be made, energy minister warns. Our surpluses have melted like glaciers under the sun of climate change. That was just last month, or this month. Like minister said, that feels like months ago. Some pictures are not very pretty, but we're not alone in having to make more decisions to enable the decarbonization that's coming our way. Our province's position, though, to the Minister's point earlier, we already have a materially decarbonized electricity sector. That's not something every jurisdiction can say. And we have abundant new supply options to be able to deal with what's coming toward us. And that puts us a step ahead of other jurisdictions. And while that is pretty awesome, we can't be too arrogant and say, oh, we'll be just fine, because we too will face challenges, and it's in the getting ready for what's coming. And that is the CEO
1: of Jennifer Williams uh, CEO of Newfoundland and Labrador Hydro. I'm sorry, Jennifer Williams, um, addressing the Energy NL conference this morning. Well, when we come back, a local woman who's fighting to prevent child abuse in uh, calls on the provin- uh, go- sorry, calls on the provincial government to introduce a body safety program in the province's schools. This is News Talk on VOC.
3: Take a break.
4: Join us weekdays from 12:30 to 1 p.m. as we decide- discuss anything and everything that's happening now it's all on the table during your vocm lunch break
1: thanks a lot richard and claudette well a local advocate is continuing her call for the provincial government namely education minister john haggie to allow newfoundland labrador students access to an age-appropriate body safety program bev moore davis joins me now well good afternoon bev moore davis
6: Good
1: afternoon, Linda. How are you? Great. So you have issued this release uh, indicating that Newfoundland and Labrador is the only province without a body safety program in its school curriculum. Um, Now's the time for action, you say. What exactly is a body safety program?
6: So a body safety program, basically, um, it will teach children the age-appropriately things that they should know so we could start with the younger kids learning the proper terminology and, you know, about safety circles and if something um, something feels good or bad versus, uh, you know, I, I guess, sorry, the, the correct way to say that now is... Uh, Safe touch and unsafe touch. So when children learn about that, they, they also learn that uh, if something is inappropriate, who they should reach out to by developing a safety circle. Uh, and then we go all the way up to the older children who are carrying around cell phones. So they they learn about um, you know the, the the dangers of putting out. Um, information, you know, personal information, where they live, um, you know, identifying information. Um, you know, we hear a lot about the uh, sharing of nude photos. That's, that would be discussed. Um, you know, exploitation, um, it just goes on and on. There, there, you know, it's an extensive program. It is uh, kindergarten to grade nine, and uh, it is being used in every province and territory uh, except Newfoundland and Labrador.
1: Do you know why that is?
6: I have no idea. Um, I mean, we've been, it's been five years. Uh, When I first learned about the program, I contacted the Canadian Centre for Child Protection myself, as uh, they are the developer of this program, and um, they had told me at the time that they had already been talking to representatives from Newfoundland and Labrador, which I thought was a good thing. And, you know, upon further research, I realized that Nova Scotia had province-wide implementation since 2009, and New Brunswick. 2014. So I thought, you know, they being our closest neighbors, obviously this was only a matter of time. Um, but unfortunately that was not the case.
1: You seem to be suggesting here that there's no need to reinvent the wheel. If other jurisdictions have this type of uh, uh, curriculum, then uh, we could probably borrow from other places.
6: I uh, Absolutely. Um, in fact, I've spoken to different um, different administrators and they've reached out to you know other provinces that were using the programs in their schools and they've got nothing but positive feedback about the program so if it's already there and uh you know they are having great success why waste all this time um you know again five years later and we're still you know, we have a pilot project, but I mean, when you look at no- Nova Scotia, two thousand and nine. I mean, that this is, uh, I think, a bit too much.
1: You've been an outspoken advocate in this realm for quite some time now. Um, where do we stand when it comes to incidents of uh, uh, child abuse or, or even sextortion, for that matter?
6: The numbers have only increased, and unfortunately, COVID uh, certainly didn't help that. That situation at all. Uh, in fact, I think it was the World Health Organization called it the hidden crisis. Uh, you know, child abuse and children going home or being trapped in in, in homes at the time with abusers. Um, and, and you know, I, I know COVID slowed the world down, but all the more reason for this program to be implemented in that time, knowing that children were leaving, living in uh, dangerous situations.
1: You indicate that the the K to nine age-appropriate school-based program um, called Kids in the Know uh, would uh, cost less than twenty five thousand dollars to implement in every classroom. What what's the um, I suppose response been from the Department of Education?
6: I know that price, yes, because um, with the holdup, when several years had gone by. I thought that uh, maybe it was expensive, and I wanted to know how much money we were dealing with. And at the time when I found out it was so little, twenty-five thousand dollars, I um, I actually proposed that we would pay for it ourselves. That uh, myself and my team with the Miles for Smiles Foundation would fundraise, and we would come up with that money. And because it was just so important, and um, the staff from NLST said, "No, no, that's that's quite okay. That uh, you know, you wouldn't have." To do that. So, with it being so inexpensive, I am still just um, surprised that here we are, still five years later, and it's still not in place.
1: Are you hopeful that now that the NLESD is uh, sort of being absorbed into the Department of uh, Health, uh, sorry, Education, that um, uh, things might become easier? or Are you concerned that it may become a little bit more um, uh, harder to get these messages across?
6: I know it's a process, uh, and I can only uh, imagine the challenges that they're that they're going through right now by integrating the department. Um, However, you know, I I can't that that's no reason to put this on hold any longer. Um, there are still children going home every day or living in unsafe environments, so uh you know, we we still have to push forward and uh, we hope that the appropriate people are going to do the same. Um I know that the there's always been interest in the program and uh, it's just um you know we've been told, just you know, it takes time for these things, but five years later, it's just not good enough. We have to get this program in now.
1: Bev Moore Davis, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. And Bev Moore Davis, as she indicated, is hoping that the province will implement a an age-appropriate body safety program into the school curriculum right across Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, if you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to give us a call. Coming up, taking the reins. A longtime marketing professional takes over one of the regions and, in fact, the country's most successful marketing firms. This is News Talk on VOCN.
4: Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels newsmakers weather and more join us on your VOCM at noon
1: and we're back well after more than 40 years target marketing has a new CEO uh, Nolo Day has uh, stepped aside you will recall we've had some pretty lively chats with Noel here in the past well uh, Catherine Kelly takes over from uh, Noel in the top position Well, hello, Catherine. Hi, Linda. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So listen, you're filling some pretty big shoes here.
7: (laughs) Well, uh, my shoes are pretty big, so um, I'm excited. I'm excited to – I've worked with Noel O'Day, uh, the founder of Target, for 25 years uh, as an agency. We're celebrating our uh, 43rd year this year. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Noel OJ has big shoes, but so do I. So it's an exciting time. Absolutely. And
1: uh, myself and Noel have had some really great rollicking conversations in the past. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, this uh, trajectory you're on. How did you how do you get started in the business?
7: Well, I um, did my business degree at MUN, and uh, when I graduated, I worked in Toronto at Nortel. And had I stayed, I might be like Mark Critch in uh, the movie Blackberry, but I didn't. I moved um, back home to Newfoundland, and um, because I felt that in a marketing profession, why would I be anywhere else knowing how creative uh, Newfoundland and St. John's in particular is? And so I came back home, to be honest. And uh, I wasn't necessarily seeking a career in advertising, but I met Noel um, and we chatted a lot about what his vision was for the agency, which is based here in the oldest street in um, the oldest uh, place in North America. And we just talked about the vision for Target, which was to become a strategic and creative powerhouse um, from a place that is one of the most creative places in. In the country if not the world and uh, and his vision just made sense to me and uh, so after uh, on, on day one I felt like it was a fait accompli and we've been together for 25 years.
1: So uh, it, it, like you said 25 years I mean so you've been uh, part and parcel of this vision for a very long time.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. I, like, I uh, say to the team here, I didn't create Target. Uh, Noel is our agency founder, and I didn't create it, but I have certainly i am um, aligned with the vision. And I've been here, I've worked on almost every single brand, and there's been a hundred, if not hundreds, of brands that we've um, repositioned and brought to life over Target's um, history, and I've been a, um, a fairly significant part of it with the rest of the Target team. So absolutely.
1: So where do you hope to take this all now?
7: Well, um, what uh, well, the, the, what I would say is um, there's a lot of things about Target that will never change, and as an agency, we are proudly and stubbornly, we see at times, located here in Newfoundland, and um, even though the world has changed a lot, increasingly because of COVID, and you know it, it it doesn't matter as much anymore where a company is geographically located, being located here in Newfoundland is our secret ingredient because we are um, a creative and strategic agency, and being in a place that really has such a creative and cultural ethos that is unique and filled with ingenuity and resilience. And the way that we look at the world is very real and authentic. All of those ingredients is that brands and businesses and companies need now more than ever, especially with chatbot, GBT and AI, and you don't know what's real or what to believe. Um, so a lot of the things about our core vision, frankly, will never change. We are here and we're deliberately going to stay here. And We look for clients that think the same way that we do, which is looking for big ideas, looking for a different perspective on their business, looking to take the path less traveled. And so as we look to the next chapter in Target's 43-year story, we're actually the longest-running independent in in Canada, which is pretty significant. Um, It's easier to say, you know, the things that won't change because at the end of the day, this is another chapter in Target's story, but it's not. A, it's not a new target. It's simply a new a new chapter in the story that is target. You
1: mentioned uh, COVID and the impacts that that's had and how it's changed the way we do things. And it strikes me that um, probably for practical reasons, it seems to me that advertising in particular has become so blend Uh, I'm not sure what's happened but the creativity seems to have been sucked from it due to COVID and maybe for entirely practical reasons Uh, have you noticed the same like do you find that there's a bit of a dearth when it comes to creativity out there?
7: Absolutely, Linda. And, and it's, um, thank you for bringing that up, to be honest. So during COVID, one of our clients was actually the St. John's Sport of Trade. And we worked with Anne-Marie and the team there on a shop local campaign. And when we looked at the landscape, the reality was, you know, a lot of advertising had become exceptionally bland for a number of reasons. And we saw the opportunity to inject a little bit of life, a little bit of fun into the advertising. So the campaign was called "Don't Get Dept," and I'm not sure if you've seen it or any of your uh, listeners, but the campaign. Oh, well,
1: familiar with it, yeah. yeah, absolutely.
7: Yes, and so it was based on a, you know, a a, a, a unique insight for for Newfoundland. Uh, but really, the the overarching arc of it was to break through the clutter because advertising had become so bland and laissez-faire and wallpaper during COVID, and. Um, But you know what? That's one of our universal drivers in general as an agency, which is the reality is lots of research says this. Ninety-five percent of communication is ignored. And as an agency, we live for the five percent for the work, that's not going to be ignored, that's not going to be bland, that's not going to be wallpaper. And uh, COVID certainly amplified, you know, the amount of wallpaper in the space, we all started taking ourselves very seriously. And nobody wanted to take risks, really, which we can appreciate as, as human beings. But in terms of communication, safe advertising is risky business. And um, so we saw the opportunity, which is frankly, another, you know, another benefit of, of who we are and where we are, we look at the world a little bit different and we don't rest on our laurels as newfoundlanders and labradorians and uh yeah so yes um yeah
1: (laughs) so you're gonna haul advertising back out kicking and screaming back out of the jaws of covid
7: (laughs) absolutely and and actually on that note we just launched a brand new campaign today for St. Bonaventure's College. And uh, the goal with that campaign is also let's break through the clutter, let's reposition a, um, um, an independent school who has a pretty long standing tradition in um, St. John's. And the school has turned into something very dynamic and new and is, and is looking forward, and we're excited to be their partner and, and help reposition them. Well, Catherine
1: Kelly, congratulations on this uh, uh, wonderful new position that you're taking. And uh, all the best to you now in Target.
7: Oh, thank you so much, Linda. It was wonderful having a quick chat. And uh, Catherine Kelly uh, taking
1: over as CEO um, after more than 40 years from founder Noel O'Day. So uh, congratulations to her. We look forward to hearing some of those uh, great new ads uh, they will be continuing to create. Well, we have uh, Giselle is on the line. Hello, Giselle. Hi. How are you? On um, better days. <laughs> yeah, what happened? You,
3: your dog is missing yes he he slipped his collar i'm at butterpot park site 126 and he slipped his collar so unfortunately he doesn't have any tags no phone numbers nothing on him and when he decides he's going to take off he can go husky (laughs) Uh, no he's he's a Bassett griffin Bassett griffin vendine is his breed so he has the hound dog in him and he can move Ah, follows his nose. Uh, so describe him to us, if you could. Uh, he's medium height, he's skinny, he's white and brown, like kind of not really long fur, but kind of a medium fur, lint fur. Uh, long floppy ears, long brown floppy ears like a basset. Uh, I've I went around the park, but unfortunately cell service up here is really terrible, so if anyone found them, they might even be able to get hold to me on the cell phone i had to come out of the park to call so, so um what's the answer to what's his name his name is rookie spelt like R O K E Y.
1: rookie uh, rookie yeah all right and will he answer to his name yes he will and uh what what will entice him uh, food. <laughs> like a good dog. Uh, so if you offer him up a little, come here, rookie. And you have a little, you know, treat or something, he might come to you. Yes, most likely. Alrighty. So
3: uh, if somebody gets a hold of rookie, what should they do? I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you two Well, well if, if they're in the park, I mean, in site 126. If they're not, I'm going to give you my husband's number first. Okay. So he's not. He's not in the park. His number is six nine one zero nine seven two. Yeah. And my number is six nine three four four eight seven. Okay. Uh, he, he said he, he's not wearing his, his collar, but he, if someone happens to find him and happens to bring him to SPCA or somewhere, he is microchipped. Okay, that's good to know um, because somebody will
1: no doubt uh, do that. So, uh, Rookie is uh, mostly white, some brown, floppy ears, medium build, um, um, medium length hair, uh, no. Nope caller no tags uh if you find rookie he will come to his name and he might come to a cookie or something and you're at yes. site 126 and yes. um if uh you see him outside of butterpot park and you want to give someone a call 6910972 or 693 yes thank you very much all right good luck giselle let us know how you make out i will thank you okay Bye bye. Well, I hope she finds Rookie. If he's a if he's a hound, he's following his nose. You know he is. Oh gosh, these stories. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my! I just yes, I really hope somebody finds him soon. And uh, there are a lot of good people out there, strangers that will just pop by. I'm sure Butterpot and uh, help with the search. I really hope that she does find him.
1: Indeed, and we've got the numbers here. If anybody happens to uh, see Rookie on the go. Um, Claudette, is there a, a particular skill or ability no. that you find oh. fascinating? Oh. Like some, something that somebody else can do that you're just like, wow, I could watch that for hours? Hmm, a skill? Juggling on a unicycle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I mean, that's pretty
1: impressive. That's you know, a lot of. Jeff Smythe, and I hope he's listening now. Oh, he has some talents in our newsroom. Uh, who, who, he, has, he hasn't he has worked in our newsroom in a little while now. He's, right. he's gone to school and he's doing really well. Uh, but uh, he used to work with a circus and he used to juggle.
2: That's so impressive
1: to and me. And he didn't show it off a lot. But if you prompted him enough, He'll he do would it. give you a little quick <laughs> demo. This is how it's done. You know, it's really fascinating. I forget how many th- items he said he could throw in keep the air keep aloft yeah. for a period of time but i um i always like woodworking oh like i could watch somebody woodworking and putting something together and just watching them go it's like, pretty, it is where does that impressive. go oh it goes there that's really cool it's a lot of calculations <laughs> for sure a lot of measuring measure yeah. what do they say measure twice and cut, cut once. once there you go well carpenters get a load of this now, uh, and we all saw this unfold before our eyes uh, a few years ago when Notre Dame Cathedral had that terrible fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, carpenters are using medieval woodworking techniques pioneered in building Notre Dame Cathedral more than 800 years ago to rebuild the roof that was lost in 2019 in that fire. So they are going back in time to learn all these skills with That's the impressive. wood. and Just mm-hmm. imagine now, because that was all done by hand. So they're using hand axes, Uh, to fashion hundreds of tons of oak beams for the framework of Notre Dame's new roof, giving them a new appreciation, and I'm sure it's giving them a very good appreciation for the handiwork that pushed that architectural envelope back in the 13th century. The use of hand tools intended to pay tribute to the craftsmanship of the cathedral's original builders and also to ensure that the centuries-old art of hand-fashioning wood lives on. But, uh, you know, we've got so many tools that do that for us now. Those skills are being lost. They are. And
2: I think there are organizations, too, especially in the boat building trade here in Newfoundland and Labrador, that there are people that will keep those alive so that they will not become lost. But it just, you know, involves awareness, bringing it up on your show, perhaps, and uh, it'll hopefully renew the interest in these skills. I think it's very important that they don't become lost. Knitting, too. Yeah. I find that yeah. uh, uh, my mom and my sister were crocheting uh, they're my favorite um, the cloth that you use to, to dishwash. And you mean the
1: one like I have on my head? Yes! Yeah, uh, Actually, that's
2: exactly the one—the <laughs> one that you have. I people, she is wearing a. F- it, it's because you don't find the headphones.
1: Uh, I find they're really heavy on my head, so I put a, a rag on my head Right, to people don't realize that now. They don't, but uh, <laughs> they actually go on YouTube,
2: and and if they forget how to do something, they'll go on YouTube now and, and get some of those skills.
1: Yeah, but it'd be nice to actually like get folding the a fitted sheet. Don't get me started.
2: Oh, do not get me started on that too. I had to watch a couple of videos on that myself. I. T- I, I just ball them up still. And, and so
1: do I. I'm like, okay, supposed to go here. The pocket is in yeah. there. Yeah, no, that My doesn't look... My sister does have a
2: foolproof <laughs> way to do that, by the way. I just can't pick it up mentally.
1: My mother-in-law does it like it was came out of the factory. I can't <laughs> understand it. How do you do that? I'm like, yes. what have I done?
2: <laughs> that is a skill. That's I'm very impressed with people who can do that. Absolutely. Well, there you go.
1: So <laughs> folding a fitted sheet or you know, hewing oak in <laughs> Paris. I don't know. It's all good stuff. Uh, and uh, kudos to uh, Heritage NL because they do a lot of work with that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Yes, absolutely. I don't know if they teach you how to fold a fitted sheet, <laughs> but, you know, maybe there's something uh, that we could learn from that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. I do appreciate you taking the time with us this afternoon and uh, have a great evening.